In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, both now and ever and unto the ages of all ages, Amen. So today is the 29th day of the Blessed Coptic Month of Abib, uh, which we said this in the introduction to the reading. Sorry for the repetition for those who were here earlier. Um, and so on the 29th of the Coptic Month, every month, so there is like 12 Coptic months, um, on the 29th day of, of every Coptic month, we celebrate the Feast of the Annunciation, the Nativity, and the Resurrection. Um, or we commemorate those feasts. And so we're commemorating those feasts today. So you'll notice that the reading today was all about the Annunciation taken from Luke chapter 1. And what's really remarkable is if you, um, if you had a chance to catch the psalm, in the psalm it said, Listen, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. Forget your own people also and your father's house. So the king will greatly desire your beauty because he is your Lord. Worship him. You know, um, this, this, this is also, this phrase is also taken from the Psalms, is also um, chanted during the wedding, chanted to the bride. But when it's chanted to the bride, it's not, it's not chanted to the bride only, like to the, to the lovely young woman dressed in white standing at the front of the church. It's chanted to the bride of Christ, to you and to me. In, in the context here, it's being said to St. Mary. And we're going to understand it in terms of the context in regards to St. Mary. And then we're going to see how that can be also extrapolated very much to you and to me. So it's almost as if the psalmist is telling St. Mary, Listen, O daughter, incline your ear. Forget your own people and your father's house. So who is her own people? Well, she was of the tribe of Judah. She lived in the town of Nazareth. Her parents were Anna and Joachim, lovely saints, and they have their own story for another day. And he, so he's saying, forget your own people. Who were her people? Her people were the Israelites, right? Her people were the Jewish nation. That was her people. Her people were the keepers, the receivers, and keepers of the law of God. The law of God that he gave them through Moses. And it was understood by them that because they were the children of Abraham and the keepers of the law, because they were children of Abraham, Ishmael, and all of his descendants, God be with them, are also descendants of Abraham. But it was the descendants of Abraham and the keepers of the law to whom God had given many promises. So they were the chosen people because they were the recipients of promises. Little did they know that, that the promise is not to many, St. Paul explains in Galatians, but to one, which is Jesus Christ. And that's a whole other story, again, for another day. The point is this. He tells St. Mary, forget your own people and your father's house. And sometimes, sometimes when we say this phrase in a wedding and we're saying this to the bride, sometimes we feel it's a really harsh Thing to say to somebody just forget where you're from and forget because you're starting a new life with your husband that's not what we're saying and that's not what was being said to st. Mary what was being said to st. Mary was not forget your saintly parents Anna and Joachim you know and you know disown them no no that's not what's being what was being said to her at all what was being said to her was forget your own people the whole 
the whole nation, the whole what, the whole mindset, the whole way of life, the whole understanding of God. Why? Why should she forget? Because the king has desired your beauty. He is your Lord and you shall worship him. Remember, St. Mary was born to, to the elderly, St. Anna and St. Joachim, who were elderly and did not have a child and had a vision and so on. And shortly after she was born, they dedicated her to the temple when she was maybe about two or three years old, when she was weaned. And then they passed away. So she was orphaned and she lived in the temple, orphan girl serving in the temple until puberty. And then when puberty rolled around, she couldn't be in the temple anymore. And so they, they betrothed her off to some 80-ish year old man, St. Joseph. That's every you know, 12 year old's dream, right? Is to, is to be betrothed to an 80 year old man, right? She was forgotten, she was nobody. She was like the sweeper in the temple. And then she was disposed of. She was nobody. And yet the angel comes to her and says to her, Rejoice, O highly favored one. That's why she does a double take. Because no one in her life has ever thought of her as someone to whom to bestow favor. No one has ever thought of her as anything special at any point in her entire life. She was so humble that it probably didn't matter to her. But so he says to her, Rejoice, O highly favored one. Why should she forget her own people? Because her own people never had, never had the favor for her. Never had the honor for her that God had for her. He says to her, rejoice, O highly favored one. So that we don't fall into a sin of worshiping St. Mary and thinking that this is a favor which is attainable only by St. Mary and by no one else. God has given us one other person to whom the Archangel Gabriel appeared and said to him, Rejoice, O highly favored one, Daniel. Daniel the prophet. And you read, when you read in the book of Daniel, find the Archangel Gabriel appeared to him a number of times. And twice he referred to him as, Rejoice, O highly favored one, the Lord is with you. As a precursor, as a, as a, as a pre you know, a thing that comes before to whet our appetite for us to hear these words being to Saint, said to St. Mary. Why is the Feast of the Annunciation such a great feast worthy to be commemorated 11 times throughout the year and celebrated once in its fullness? Is because it is the pre-gospel. In, 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 in Greek, they don't call it the Feast of the Annunciation. They call it the Feast of Proto-Evangelion. I mentioned this at other feasts of the Annunciation or other 29ths of the months or whatever, that it's called the Proto-Evangelion, the, the pre-gospel, the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the message that God has favor for you. God is looking at you. God knows you by your name and God loves you and he has favor for you and he looks at you and he thinks of you and you alone, he thinks of you in and of yourself, in, in the entirety of your personhood. And he sees you as unique and special and beautiful. This is, this is part of the gospel. This is the beginning of the gospel.
that this orphan girl who was disposed of from the temple was not forgotten by God. In fact, she was chosen by God just as much as you are also chosen by God for his own special purposes and for his own special glorious mission. So thus, it says to her, the angel says to her, or the psalmist says to her, forget, the angel doesn't say that, but the psalmist says, forget your own people and your father's house. Why? Because the king has greatly desired your beauty. What is his greatly desired your beauty? Look, let's be, let's like, uh, you know, let's not use the flowery language of scripture here. Let's, let's call it as it is, okay? What happens when you have a crush on somebody? You can't get them out of your head and you go to bed thinking about them and you wake up in the morning thinking about them and you get ready for work and you're thinking about them and you're doing this and you're thinking about them, right? That's what he's talking about here. The king has greatly desired your beauty. God is fixated on you, obsessed with you. Not in a obsessed with nitpicking all the bad things that I do, no. He can't get you out of his head. He can't, he can't focus in what he's doing because his thoughts are all wrapped up in you. If God has so much favor and so much joy and so much delight in you, ought not my, my attention be diverted from where I am now to be diverted to him? Indeed. And so, is, so the psalm is saying that. And we find this theme very clear, so clear in, in the Pauline epistle that we read from Romans chapter 3. We basically read almost the entirety of, of the chapter. You can go and read it for yourself. And St. Paul is saying that, he's saying that we of, in and of ourselves have not done anything good. In fact, we're full of everything bad in and of ourselves that we really don't deserve anything from God other than punishment. He says, he's quoting, St. Paul is quoting from the Psalms. Now remember, the New Testament was canonized in the third century. So St. Paul is quoting, if he's going to quote scripture, what's he going to quote? He's going to quote the Old Testament. So he's quoting the Old Testament, mostly from the Psalms. And he says, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps in their lips. He goes on and on and on. There is not one that has, is righteous. And then he makes the point that there's not one who is righteous, nor the Jew, nor the Gentile. But the Jew is trying, this is not, uh, you know, against uh, Jews. Right? This is, I was talking here about theology, right? But by the, the Jewish theology in St. Paul's time, they were trying to obtain their own righteousness by fulfilling the law. If I follow the law, they had about 613 laws. They sat and categorized them. And when they had categorized them all, they got down to 613 unique laws. If I keep these 613 unique laws, I can be righteous before in God's eyes. St. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. That's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. And none of you keep the law, he says. Jesus said that to the Pharisees and to the scribes and the chief priests. He says, none of you keep the law and yet you're trying to kill me. You're trying to stone me because I don't keep, because you're saying that I don't keep the law and I heal on the Sabbath, Jesus says. 
But you don't keep the law either, Jesus is saying to them. And St. Paul is telling us, no one has kept the law. So then what's the benefit of the law? St. Paul is explaining in Romans 3. If, what's the point of having rules and you know that nobody's going to follow them, right? The point is this, is that before the law, there was no clear distinction between right and wrong. No one knew what was right and wrong, so the law came and it drew the line in the sand and said, this is right and this is wrong. Why? So that it could become clear to us that by our own efforts and looking within and within ourselves for the resources that are in and within ourselves and, and being engrossed in ourself, in the self that Jesus asks us to surrender, and being engrossed in myself, I will never find the resources to get me out of the wrong and into the right. But before the line was drawn in the sand by the law, no one knew. It was very gray. Things now are very gray. In our society today, things are very gray. Why? Because people have forsaken the truth. The word of truth is right here. It's right here in scripture. But it's been forsaken. It's been left behind. So now things are very gray. So the law was given to make a demarcation for us between right and wrong. Not as a method for us to become righteous, but for us to realize that in and within ourselves, nothing good dwells. So if I, you have to do a project, okay, you have to do an assignment, you have to do, uh, you know, uh, a report at work, you have to do something, okay, you have to do something and you look at all of your resources and within all your resources, you don't have what it takes. What's the natural normal person going to do? He's going to look outside of those resources, right? That's the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is to show me that in and of myself, there nothing good dwells. So then I must turn my attention outside of myself. To whom? To God. And when I turn my attention to him, I find that he is saying to me, rejoice, O highly favored one, the Lord is with you. I find that he is telling me that he has, the king has greatly desired your beauty. So that's what we found in Romans, that in me, nothing good dwells. And if we would have looked at St. Mary before the archangel came to her, we would have said she's just an orphan girl. I mean, she's, you know, and they betrothed her to this man, Joseph. They didn't know what to do with her and they needed somebody to take care of her and kind of house her and so on. So they betrothed her to an old man who had shown himself to be righteous. So he's not going to abuse her, do anything bad to her. You know, he's shown himself to be a very good man over the long years of his life so he can take care of her. And she was, she was, there was, there was nothing in her. There was nothing in her that was, that was, that was desirable according to, according to the law. So St. Paul is telling us we need to turn away from the law and turn to Christ, to Jesus, to, to have his righteousness. What does this word righteousness mean? We, we throw, throw around these words all the time and we don't necessarily understand what they mean. The word righteousness means to be right according to God's standard. According to God's standard, we're right. So, you know, Nowadays, there's a common phrase we use all the time. I use it all the time. And you know, when, when you want to agree to disagree with somebody, you can just say, like, you do you and I'll do me, right? So you live by 
you do what's good for you and I'll do what's good for me, right? So, which is fine, like I don't have anything against that, I use that phrase sometimes, but the point is this, is that here we're talking about God's standard. What's right by His standard? What's right by His standard? The only one who is right by His standard is Jesus. And Jesus has invited every single one of us, has invited you and has invited me to come into Him. And St. Paul uses this term, in Christ, over 90 times, and in Him, and in Jesus, and so on, another 100 times. If we, if we took all of the things that could be understood as being in Christ. But the word in Christ itself, he understands it, he uses it over 90 times to tell us that this is the key this is the key to entrance into righteousness. This is the key to peace with God. This is the key to peace with ourselves. This is the key to peace with each other. Is grace. Is grace. Is believing in the undeserved favor of God for you and for me. I don't deserve it by any far stretch of the imagination. There's no way you can calculate it so that in the end it comes out that I deserve to be looked upon by God as highly favored. There's no way you can calculate it so that in the end you could say that God has, has an ending favor for me. That He has greatly desired my beauty. There's no way that you can calculate it and it comes out to that. It is by it is because he is good it is because he has this favor for his son and his son has made entrance for us to come into him and to share with him and that's why communion is such is such a highlight in 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 our worship and it's such a highlight because it's not just something ritualistic that we do or, or tradition that we you know culturally received from our forefathers but it is it is the essence of it all in my union with Christ everything which belongs to Christ then belongs to me including all the grace and favor of God so then what must I do if, it, if it's not to, if it's not by deeds if it's not by any merit of my own that I can have this grace and favor of, from God then what must I do you're going to say nothing? No, not nothing. St. John Chrysostom says something really beautiful. He says, We bring a very necessary ingredient for our salvation through grace, he says. We bring our faith. We bring our faith. Look, let me make it really practical for you. In the midst of my own failure, in the midst of my own sinfulness, in the midst of my own depravity, in the midst of when I'm as broken as broken can be, are you able to believe that you are perfect in the eyes of God? That your repentance, that simply turning to your eyes towards heaven and saying, Lord, forgive me a sinner. That your confession before God and before His church is enough to make you perfect and complete in his eyes. Do you believe that? I'll tell you, I've messed up pretty big in my life. I have messed up pretty big in my life. 
And I can tell you that it's not easy to believe that in the depth of failure and in the depth of sin. So it's not a small thing. When it says that all you need to do is believe, it's not a small thing. Sure, it's easy to believe that you have the grace and favor of God and that God thinks the world of you when you think the world of yourself. When you think you're Superman, it's very easy for you to believe that God thinks you're Superman too. But when you have messed up royally, can you believe? Can you believe that, that He is so gracious that all it takes is for us to turn our eyes towards Him? All it, took for the, all it took for the thief on the right was to say, we deserve this, but he didn't do anything to deserve this. Remember me, O Lord, when you come into your kingdom. All it took from Peter was to, to, to look at Jesus and make eye contact with him after his denial and go out and weep bitterly. All it took, all it took for the prodigal son was to begin to travel back on the road and his father ran towards him. Can you believe that? Can you believe that you have unconditional favor in God's eyes? If so, can you repent? Can you confess? Can you come to God confessing your sins? Look, people say, I, I find confession so awkward because I don't know what the priest is going to think of me after I confess. Can I tell you something? I want to ask you a question. What's God going to think of you after you confess? Can you believe can you believe that God is not going to think of you any differently before or after? That's, that's the faith that we're talking about right now. That's the faith that we're talking about. So St. John Chrysostom says that it's not people say, oh, if you believe in salvation by grace, then you, you don't need to do anything. Then, 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 you know, it's all grace, so don't worry, mess up as much as you want. It's all, it's, it's all one and the same. No. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that we, we obtain that grace through faith. Faith in a God who forgives. Faith in what we read in the Pauline epistle, in the, in the Catholic epistle today. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what we believe. So let's get really practical and make it very simple. St. John Chrysostom is telling us the first thing we need to do is believe. Believe what? In his unchanging, unconditional favor and desire for you. The second thing we can do is we can confess. Which is a natural outcome of the first thing. And we already spoke about it at length. The third thing we can do is like St. Mary did, the whole conversation between her and the archangel ends with her saying, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Behold the maidservant of the Lord, behold Lord your servant, let it be to me according to your word. If God loves me so much, if God cares about me so much, if God has, is so obsessed with me then I can surrender myself to him I know that he has only my best at heart I know that all of my desires and all of my hopes and all of my dreams are fulfilled in him I know that all my joy and all my peace can be found in him I know that 
everything that I yearn for and that I search for in this life can be found in Him. Believe in Him. Come to Him confessing your sins and surrender to Him and receive this favor. And that is what the, that is what the angel was saying to St. Mary when he told her, Rejoice, O highly favored one. That's what the, how the church is interpreting it for us by linking it to the psalm. Listen, O daughter, and incline your ear. Forget your own people. Forget the law. Forget your own works. Forget what you're trying to do to measure up, to be good enough. Forget about all of that. For the king has greatly desired your beauty. That's what we're saying not only to the bride, on, on her wedding day, but we're saying to the whole church, the bride of Christ, to forget my past, to forget my credentials, to forget all of that, and to set fix my eyes on the lover of my soul, my only, my only beloved, the Holy Trinity, our Lord Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who loves me so much that he has called me highly favored in his eyes. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. I have sinned. Forgive me, my fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Please pray for me.